All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. I'm broadcasting awkwardly uh, from a hotel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Awkwardly because the main room of this room was too bouncy. I'm a little sensitive to the bounce, the sound bounce. It's a little better in here, so I'm propped up on a chair in front of a dresser in the bedroom of this suite talking to you. You all right? Today on the show, I talked to Nicole Holliff Center. Uh, She's a writer-director of films like Walking and Talking, Friends with Money, Lovely and Amazing, uh, Enough Said. She also wrote the screenplay for Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy and co-wrote The Last Duel with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. She also directed TV shows like Parks and Rec, Inside Amy Schumer, One Mississippi, and Orange is the New Black. My um, late girlfriend, Lynn Shelton, was a a big fan of Nicole Holliff Center. Always talked about her movies. I watched many of her movies. I actually had a brief conversation with her about perhaps bringing to life a script that... uh, Lynn and I had been writing for years, but uh, that never, I never really followed through with that. I don't know really what to do with that. It, it's, uh, there's a pain to it. There's something special about it remaining the thing that we did and not uh, necessarily realizing it without her. So she'll, she'll, I will talk to her shortly. I, yeah, I think I, I must have come through here at some trek across the country because I think this, this road, this interstate turns into I-40 at some point, which cuts right into New Mexico. I must have drove across Oklahoma through the top of Texas on into New Mexico at some point because oddly, I do remember Oral Roberts University just sitting out there in the middle of what seems like a, a, a plains area. I mean, there are other buildings. There's downtown Tulsa, but there's this massive tower that I believe belonged to Oral Roberts University. I don't know if it's still called Oral Roberts University, but there's these series of towers that I remembered seeing and I remembered looking up. So I must have made the trek and I've been here for a day and it's been kind of eventful, I guess, but everything's an event when you're in a new place. Uh, I arrived, uh, got the car from the airport and we drove by massive protests out in front of, uh, of City Hall here in Oklahoma because I believe the governor, as of the day before yesterday, uh, enacted some sort of draconian shit show anti-abortion legislation in preparation for the, uh, the great uh, pulling of the rug out from under all the women of this country that is uh, poised to happen as fascism creeps in. It's really all we should be talking about and the environment but uh, but it doesn't seem to be the broader cultural discussion. It's more of a Kardashian thing, or you know what's going on in the uh, the world of uh, of fiction. I took a a lift yesterday out to um, I went. I need to go to Whole Foods, stock up on some some stuff because I immediately got it into my head that uh, everything's got to change. Everything's got to change. If I'm going to be on the road, I can't just eat like nothing matters. I've got to take care of myself. I've been in and out of that, taking care of my, uh, taking care of myself on the road, not taking care of myself. But I, I really had shifted into, uh, as of yesterday, I was like, I'm going to do it. So I took a car out to a Whole Foods that was, it must have been a half hour away. And it was fine. But the ride out there, the guy who drove me was a nice guy, you know, Oklahoma dude. 
And, you know, you get to talking. I got to talking. He seemed real nice. He's telling me a little bit about the city. We discussed uh, as we were driving that Oral Roberts University, which is uh, apparently the tower, he told me, is supposed to be the height of uh, Noah's Ark. And he says, I know the Bible pretty well, and I think that's about right. And I'm like, that seems big. And he said, yeah, it took 120 years to build that. And I said, well, that must have been a few generations. He's like, no, uh, you know, they lived longer then. I'm like, okay. Well, then the other question is, how do you keep employers? How do you employ people for that long over an arc of 120 years to keep people in a in the job? I, I'm just assuming that was tricky. And he laughed at that, which maybe always, when I get laughs from people that are truly believers at things that are just about logic, it makes me believe that they kind of know that it's kind of bullshit. But I don't know. There's no reason to push it, but I'm always happy when I get the laugh uh, from the uh, from the deep believers because it was logical and it made sense in modern terms that that's fucking ridiculous. But nonetheless, I brought up the fact that they built an ark, I think in Kentucky somewhere at the Creation Museum, wherever that is. He said, yeah, he'd heard about that. But we were just talking. It was a varied conversation. And, uh, and we talked a lot about, uh, you know, about barbecue, sort of got into, I, I asked how everybody fared here with the pandemic and if things were bouncing back. And he said, well, I don't know. We didn't really, there wasn't that big of a shift because we didn't uh, stop. And then as time, you know, as the conversation went on, you know, he said did, uh, he think he might, he might've had it a month or so ago, the new one, but you know, uh, he wasn't sure that, you know, he hadn't been vaxxed. And that, uh, you know, the people he worked with all during the pandemic, no one got it and no one was wearing masks until the mandate. But there was no tone of anger or anything. There was just a matter of factness to it. And this guy seemed like a reasonably nice guy. And then, you know, we got to talking, you know, about, uh, you know, just how I, I kind of said, well, it looks like you know, we're going to be dealing with this stuff. And then just matter of fact, we brought up, he just matter of fact, we brought up a, a meeting that. Uh, took place with the CDC, the WHO, and the global leaders uh, in Wuhan about uh, about uh, pandemic uh, management. You know, within you know weeks of uh, the pandemic starting, suggesting that you know, it was some sort of conspiracy that they couldn't possibly have been meeting just to discuss the possibility of something that uh, was bound to happen. But but okay, it was. And I said to him, I said, well, you know. It seems that you know, as viral strains, bacterial strains become more antibiotic resistant, that uh, you know these things are going to happen. That these these diseases, these viruses and bacteria, are going to evolve and adapt, not unlike any other organism, and they're going to get worse and more persistent. And he goes exactly, you know, like that MRSA and like yeah, a couple other things we talked about. But again, the logic was there, but not applied to the possibility that the pandemic was just a pandemic and not some sort of global conspiracy meant to do what, I'm not sure. Kill everybody? But then we talked about food some more, and it was one of those things that you you come away from where you're like, well, that guy was a nice guy, and it was actually, I hadn't had a conversation with a guy that uh, has profoundly different beliefs than I do about everything, but, you know, we kind of met somewhere around, you, you know, brisket and chicken, but it didn't feel volatile and I don't think any progress was made, but, uh, he was, he was an okay human with a, a pretty wrong minded way of looking at the world. Okay. So 
I'm here shooting an episode of Reservation Dogs, which I'm thrilled about. And last night I went out with uh, Sterling Harjo, the producer and creator, and uh, Bobby Wilson, the guy who wrote my episode, and uh, Britt Hensel. And we went to a, a, a beautiful little restaurant called Lowood here in Tulsa. It was great. So that's what I'm here doing. I'm going to shoot some Reservation Dogs. And it's so fucked up, man. I'm talking to Sterling, and he, he told me, and I knew this, you know, that Sam Kennison's grave is here, and I have... I owe Kennison something, you know, I need, I, there's, there's possibility for full closure because like many, of you don't know the story. And if I just tell you this, it's going to sound weird and out of context without you knowing the story. But you know, when I was a younger person and I was a doorman at the comedy store, you know, I had a falling out with Kennison, you know, after spending hours and hours, you know, hanging out with him, doing his Coke and listening to him ramble on about the universe but uh, I had a big falling out with him, and he and it, it started with him pissing on my bed because I let a Satanist uh, hang out in there so Sam wouldn't kick his ass. Long story. So Sam wouldn't kick his ass. But nonetheless, he peed on my bed, and I never swept in it again since, and I shortly left Los Angeles uh, in, a, in a fury of cocaine psychosis. Now, the, the point is, is that I always sort of made a promise to myself that I, w- I would piss on Kennison's grave to get closure. I've since sort of altered that fantasy because I've, I've let it go and I've processed it. But Sterling brought it up to me last night that Kennison's grave is here. And I'm like, Oh shit, I'm supposed to pee on that. And, and it's not, I mean, it's not that I didn't learn things from Sam, but it, it just, it just, it's closure. It's payback as a bitch. And if anyone was, uh, you know, a fan and a, a, um, supporter of revenge on a, almost satanic basis it was sam and i i think that ultimately he would appreciate it um and he's got to come into some degree but like i said i've let it go but now i got to sort of like sit with it so that's sort of happening that might happen i'll let you know if uh if i do uh find a way to go pee on kennison's grave and I, b- believe me this is just a debt it's it's not it's not it's not even personal anymore it's just something that you, you know, I need, I need to do, I might need to do it. We'll see. Yeah. I got to really process this. You know, is it, is it a good thing for me to go pee on a grave? Do I need to do that? Have I grown past that? I don't know. So right now, uh, Nicole Holof center, I just reached out to her because I was thinking about her because I was thinking about Lynn and then, uh, Michaela Watkins, uh, brought, brought it up to me that well Michaela called me and said she was looking to cast something in her new, new movie and I might be good for it so Michaela mentioned my name and then I thought like oh, I gotta call her uh, or reach out to see if she wants to do the show yeah so this is me talking to Nicole Hall of Center who did not cast me in her new movie but that's okay you know things happen I might have been perfect for it doesn't matter that kind of stuff doesn't matter in show business and I you know I turned down stuff too who knows what could have happened that didn't? But I do know that I talked to Nicole Hollis Center, and uh, this is that. I can tell you, I don't breathe. What do you mean you don't breathe? Like, when I'm doing one of these and I can tell because I have this on, uh-huh. I hold my breath when I talk. I hold my breath you know, a lot. It was Me just, too. You do? All, all day. And at night, I have apnea. I but just do, told you have that. apnea? Yeah. 
Do you wear a machine? No, I wear a really attractive blue mouth guard. With a tube, like a tube in it? No, it just juts your bottom forward like this. Oh my so God. It opens up. I hold my breath when I, I find I hold my breath when I talk I, uh, because yeah. it, um, I think if I breathe properly, I'd probably cry all the time. I don't know what your problem is. No, I think the same thing. I've, I've been tempted to take a breathing class, really? but I'm kind of afraid. Move the mic in. You can Are you it. recording me already? Sure. Of course. What do you mean? What do you... I thought you'd say, okay, go. What do you mean? Like there would be an intro? No. Yeah. Don't be nervous. I, it's just a conversation. How's your how are your headset? Fine. Yeah, it's fine. Do you, am I? Is yeah, you it good sound for good. You? Yeah. Okay. I just I, I'm weird. I'm, I'm I never had allergies, but I have them now. I mean, the last few days have been a little weird. Do you have them? I do. Um, I were have... they were you fucked up for the last couple of days? No, you kind of normal. It? Really? I have tissue boxes in every corner of my house. Oh, but so you but so you wouldn't know if the last two days were bad or any worse right. than last Probably week. Probably not. Right. Yeah. No. I didn't. I don't. I usually don't do anything for him, but I had this Flonase left over, like prescription Flonase. That's good. Yeah, I have one of those. And uh, and a, a Zyrtec. Uh huh. I take a Zyrtec every day. You do? Yes. And it helps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's why I think like I, I all of a sudden I sound so clear to myself. Good. So breathing. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So I'll talk, and then occasionally I'll have to. <sighs> you realize uh, yep. I haven't breathed. Yep. So why don't you take a breathing class? I'm afraid. Afraid of what? Crying? Like what you said, I'll just never be able to get up again. <laughs> because that's... I'll pass out. Because like when I think about just letting it go, yeah. what's all that emotion, right? And I've had that... I think it's always been that way. I've always been a breath holder. Me too. You have? <clears throat> Me too. Um, yeah. Do you, are, you but, mouth, uh, are you a mouth breather? No. I am. No. So I guess I win. You do your worst. <laughs> I mean, well, I love to sing. Yeah. But when I sing, like my throat closes up after, like in the middle of a song. I can't go past. Your yeah. throat? Oh, you can feel it? Yeah. I've been singing in public lately, like in, in front of people at Largo and stuff, to overcome the fear of that vulnerability. It's a vulnerability thing. The choking and the not breathing. And Isn't it actually like a real thing that you need training to learn how to open up I, these pipes? No. No. I, no. Can you sing at home alone without it closing up on you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that. <laughs> right? <laughs> True. So, no, it's, it's, it's all yeah. fear-based and it's self-consciousness. And to me, there's something, nothing's more vulnerable than singing for some reason. I don't know why that is. I don't feel that way. Oh, I do. That's terrifying. Are to you me. a good singer? No, I'm Sing okay. Sing me a tune. No, I'm okay. I mean, I can do it. Mm -hmm. But like I, the last time I sang, we tried to get through "Jealous Guy" uh, by John Lennon, and mm -hmm. I did it in rehearsal, and I know I can do it. But I choked uh, during performing it, and I couldn't hit the notes right, and I was so annoyed. But I knew the audience knew me, and they were willing. You know, I just said, "Look, I I, I can't go home, not n knowing I didn't hit that note. I'll be too." It'd be awful. So we're gonna gonna do it again. Yeah, and good. And they loved it. I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, they like when people fuck Fail. up. Yeah. Yeah, I used to sing with Lynn actually a bit. She liked to sing a lot, and she was very. I know. Good I watched singer. her birthday video. Oh, oh yeah. Of her singing all those songs, she was great. Oh yeah, and I sent you that script that her and I wrote over five years. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I didn't get back to you, but I just I couldn't uh, I couldn't I couldn't follow through on it yet or something. But I like the story. You were with her for five years? We knew each other a long time. I uh -huh. mean, we knew each other since she did 
the podcast, right? So like oh. 2015 or 16, I can't remember what it was. Oh. And that's when we sort of started engaging. And, you know, one of the ways we would spend time together is to write that fucking script. Mm-hmm. An excuse, you mean? Right. Yeah. Over the years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, and it got very close to, you know, getting in, you know, near done. And I still picture it and I still have a lot of like ideas about how that thing can work and where it would go. But it, that's was just, it's pretty close to the story's all there. Mm-hmm. And then somebody put it in my head that someone, you know, I should finish it with somebody else. And she's such a fan of yours. So I thought, well, I, I'm going to send it to you. And then I did. And, I, you know, I think you liked it, right? I did like it yeah. very much. I was happy to proceed. I mean, I felt honored in many ways. Well, it's still here. It's still it's still possible. If you're willing to go for it again, maybe it's tough. I don't know if it's tough. It's like, it, well, it's, it's about, like, I know that the issue with her and I was just that, like, you know, I would I would make her laugh all the time, right? So, and I don't know that what's in there in that script when I read it over again, how much of the comedy needs to be there. And I think that, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, your approach to comedy I think is different. I don't know that Lynn really did too many comedies other than that last one, which was kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. In watching some of your stuff, like I, I guess the reason that I'm, I'm interested to talk outside of you know where you come from in the background is like you seem to have a, you know, you have a point of view that's evolving and you have specific things that you want to achieve with movies. Mm-hmm. Right? I suppose. Yeah. Unconsciously. I, well, I guess it's just relative to you as like wherever you're at in your life, right? Pretty I mean, much. Yeah. But when, where did you come from? New York City. So you're a New York City person? Mm-hmm. You grew up there? I did until I was 12. And then my family moved to Westwood in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. But so, my my formative years, at least certain ones, were in New York for sure. In the city? Yeah. It's so rare to meet people that grew up in New York City. It's like, yeah. it's exciting. Yeah. So your 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 family's in the arts, right? Yes. Um all of them have been. Yeah. yeah. Like what? How um, how what what'd your mom uh, do? Well, my mom was not until later. She became a set decorator hmm. uh later in life and did a bunch of wonderful films. And Yeah, like which ones? Sophie's Choice. Really? Yeah, uh Radio Days. Mm. Um yeah. So she became a good set decorator. Yeah, she she did. She was ta- very talented. Where did that I come think. from, though? What did she do when you were growing up? Well, she was a secretary and worked at a travel agency. She was an actress when she was younger, actually. But In she movies? Quit. Um, no, plays and television when mm. she was really young. Like child actor? Yeah, yeah. Huh. And then older, and then yeah. a little bit older. And she hung out with James Dean. He really? asked her out on a date. Did she go? No, she was afraid of him. She said, this guy's too creepy for me. And <laughs> Creepy James Dean. Creepy. He was creepy. And um, she told her best friend, you know, he's really cool, but he's creepy. And then her best friend ended up being with him for a long time. Really? Because she liked creepy. Creepy and weird. Yeah. Intense and creepy. Yeah. Some people like intense and creepy. I think I do. Yeah, sure. I was. Yeah. I, I think I've always been intense, but the creepy is I, sh- I shifted a bit. <laughs> I'm not as creepy as I used to be. I don't <laughs> think I was ever. Good. I don't think I was ever creepy. I think I was angry, as I'm putting. All right, so okay, but I'm no James Dean. So your mom well, didn't go out with James Dean. No, she didn't. She married my father, Larry Hall of Center, instead. Yeah. Um, What's that guy do? He, he at do? that time he was a lyricist and he booked the Merv Griffin show and he wrote for your show of shows. He was a booker on the Merv Griffin show. Yeah. And he wrote Isn't that for funny? The, uh, your show of shows with yeah. Danny Simon and all those guys. Yeah. 
No kidding. I don't think for very long, huh. um, but he did. And he wrote lyrics to some theater and acted. And uh, throughout his life, he became a sculptor. I would say that sculpting was his most successful endeavor. Really? Yeah. Um, he has this big sculpture in London on Bond Street yeah. of Churchill and uh, Roosevelt sitting on a bench, life-size. And it's where tourists go and sit between them and oh. take pictures. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's been photographed more than uh, anything he's ever done. Yes, yeah. absolutely. First thing, it'll come up. That's interesting, though, like that people just, I, I like the idea that people, like when they switch jobs, they don't ever think of like doing something mundane or, or with more security. No. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to try something harder. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm that way, too, but I think it's an artistic <laughs> sentiment. I don't think that, that every, normal people would never do that, or whatever normal is. I know. No, sometimes I think, oh, I can't make movies anymore. I'm just going to become an actress. <laughs> like, that's wise. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Yeah. You can go read sure for the people thing. that cast your movies. Exactly. <laughs> just throw me in something. Yeah. Is really, that's your that's your plan B no, in your mind? No, I couldn't act. I, would, I can't. I mean, I think I can act, but yeah. I'm too timid to act. Timid? Stage, mean, stage fright. Yeah. You're afraid you're not going to breathe, or your throat's going to close up. That, or? and I can't remember. I can't remember my own lines when I'm watching my own scene being filmed. I think the trick, like you know, and I'm no genius actor, but I think that the uh, if you can not be self conscious while you're doing it in the middle of all those people, then that's like seventy percent of it. Yeah, it's amazing to me. <laughs> amazing. Where you do? I don't know how it happens. Where you can just lock in. I don't either. And. People do plays, you know, three-hour plays. Well, that's a different thing, the memorizing. Yeah. That's different. It's like another species to me. So, okay, so your parents, that's what they did. That's what they did. And then, um, yeah, my mom ended up marrying my stepfather. Yeah. Who produced movies. What was that guy's name? Charlie Joffe. Charlie Joffe. I remember seeing Charlie Joffe. What? He was up there. Well, I had a weird... I had a weird meeting with Jack Rollins once. Oh, tell me. But I remember meeting Charlie Joffe in mm-hmm. Montreal at the Montreal Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. It must have been in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I remember he had some sort of a protege, a woman who was like running his office or something. I, I just remember there was someone who worked for mm-hmm. his production company. Mm-hmm. That, uh, do you know who I'm talking about? No. That was sort of a big deal. I don't know. But he was like, a, he was a big presence, yeah. that guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was sort of holding court, and it was very intimidating because you know, it was, yeah. well, you know that name from all the movies, right? You know, Rollins and Joffe. It was just like it was if you were a Woody Allen fan, right? When you could be, it, you it was just always there, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And he managed a lot of comics, so oh, yeah, a lot of that. Dick Cavett, he managed, right? He managed Woody. He, he managed Robin Williams. Oh yeah, that's right. For a while, Billy Crystal. So what was it like? To, how how old were you when you when you when he she married that guy? I was eight. So he was like. Your stepdad, yeah, for real. He was like another dad, uh, at least for a while. They split up when I was seventeen, but stayed close, and I stayed close with him. And yeah. he, you know, put me through grad school and college, and um, really was a you know a terrific mentor. Yeah. Well, so you were around that show business. That's real show business. I was your whole life. Um. Well, the, yeah, that period, sure. Well, what I was that so. like? Who'd you like? What was the scene? I mean, were, what was this? Were people at the um, house? <laughs> There was people at the house. There was a lot of coke. Oh, really? A lot of coke. No uh, kidding. Was the, just around. It was the eighties. Yeah. And um, yeah. And the adults then would just do it in public. Like I remember, I had oh. a cousin who worked for uh, 
Yves Saint Laurent, like he's an accountant, and we were at a some <laughs> birthday party for my grandfather, and he's like doing blow at dessert, yeah. like it was nothing. I like, know. I'm well, from people New York. wore spoons around their necks, or yeah. little vials. Yeah. It was yeah. nothing. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of coke, and I felt, I, unfortunately, I always felt too young to really have the kind of fun I wanted to have with these people. Because, yeah. you know, I was 18 or something, yeah. or 17, and right. I thought, I and I wanted to be 25 so I could hang with Robin as an adult, right. and all these people as an adult. But With I was, uh, Robin Williams? Yeah. He was around? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Young Robin. He was sweet, really yeah. sweet, and I was privileged to see him do stand-up in the beginning of his career. and In New York or here? Um, or had you both. moved here? Uh-huh. Probably more here. Right. I Comedy think store. Yeah, that's where he came down. So, yeah. okay, so you were how old when they moved out here? So you fought years. So I was 12. I was 12 when we moved to Los Angeles. Joffy lived out here? No, we all lived in New York, and then he moved out here to do more managing. Right. And to produce, he wanted to produce TV and movies here, not just Woody. Right, so that's so that's why you moved because yeah. he moved. Yeah. So, so that was what year? Like nineteen seventy-two. Oh my God! <laughs> why? So you like you saw the beginning of all of it, like the, you would have seen Robin at the comedy store in like the late seventies. Yes, or, exactly. Right. So that's all. Yeah. That's when all that started. When yes. those stars were beginning to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it was thrilling. It was oh, thrilling. I can't believe it. I don't know. You know, I got to meet. Um, you know, people I really wanted to meet. I was that was the best. When you were like part. eighteen or nineteen or twenty, yeah, maybe a little younger. Like I remember meeting John Travolta oh. at like the I don't remember. Maybe yeah. I was like seventeen. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. And he got me jobs as a production assistant, maybe one or two. Oh yeah, on what? Um, Those are formative. <laughs> no kidding. Find out what you're good at and what you're not good at. Did you? Oh, I was such a bad PA. Um, What's well, worst? It's the worst because it's humiliating. Very. And when you're the producer's kid, or you know you got your job through nepotism, yeah. they they run you around. Yeah. But also, I'm too logical. Like they would say, you know, go on that corner and stop traffic. Yeah. And there was no traffic. Right. You just gotta go stand. There. So just go stand there, and I'd say, well, why? There's no traffic, and it's yeah. like just shut up and go stand there. Right. You know. So yeah. the logic of it made me, you know, furious. And did you? Did you? Uh, because of that, do you treat your PAs better than that? Oh, so nice. I know their <laughs> names. I, I offer them coffee. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I walk by and they won't look up and it's like, come on, guys. Right. I'm yeah. not, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know who, Scorsese yeah. or right, whoever right, wants. Right. Look, have eye contact. So what were you PA on? Like, what did you... I was a PA on um, one of Woody's lighter films, the a Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. Yeah. I was a PA or apprentice editor on Hannah and Her Sisters. Apprentice editor. So you mm-hmm. that was sort of what you were heading for? Uh, maybe, yeah. I was just sinking dailies and stuff like that. But at that point, I knew I wanted to do something in film, but I thought it could be production design or mm. editing. It didn't even occur to me to do, or to write. Yeah. I always loved writing. What, so what was, like, how much did, like, Rollins and Jaffe have to do with the movies at that point? Like, really, you know, in terms of later in the, you know, like... Later, you, not so much. Did you learn anything about production at that time? Did you understand how it was all structured and all that? No. Oh. And I wasn't interested either. I'm mm. still not very interested. In pre- yeah, he's just like, who's going to give me money? Exactly. <laughs> and why aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do I got to do? So, is this where you learned or did you go to school? Did I you? went to school. Here? Um I went to, no, I went, well, I went to many undergraduate schools. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it took me six years to get a bachelor's me, degree. It took me five. Okay. Only because I just wanted to stay one more year so I could drink more and do drugs. That's a good, that's a good reason. Sure. I was just confused. I, you know, I was. Well, I mean, I was confused too. Yes, but faster. <laughs> Much In faster. five, you were confused yeah. for five. I, I was spin, confused for six. Uh, where'd you go? Which one did you? I started at uh, Sonoma State, uh-huh. and I went to San Francisco State. Uh-huh. Then I went to NYU, oh. and graduated from NYU. Yeah, I oh. took. Uh, that's I started taking film classes. Yeah, and graduated with a terrible, terrible short film. That was painful to make, and I thought <laughs> I I can't do this. What, what was that? What was that? It was actually about um, me and my sister visiting my father in the country on yeah. weekends. It was uh-huh. called Every Other Weekend and uh-huh. a Month in the Summer, and it was it was bad. And I had kind of a panic attack the entire time I was making it. And so I thought, well, I can't do this. So that it was a concern that because of the reasons why you were having it, you wouldn't be able to do it. Direct. Correct. What? Why were you having it? Just because everything was so... I don't know. I was overwhelmed. I, I it just wasn't ready. Huh. And I also felt like I needed to know everything. And the DP who shot my short, you know, was a jerk and, you yeah. know, an, an asshole DP guy. And, um, but I was and just this overwhelmed. Is in college. Yeah. You had an asshole DP. Oh, yeah. I oh, how. they start young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I always went before I started making any television or being part of it. Yeah, I thought that the director had to do know everything, and I guess it's right. really relative to uh, how you um, delegate, mm-hmm. you know, responsibility and who you trust. You, you, I mean, but I imagine yeah. you do have to have a handle on most things. But, sure, but eventually you learn how to trust your DP or trust, you know, the, the other people. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know what I want, and I know what I don't want, and that. Is very helpful. Well, what was it? What were you gunning for, like at the beginning? Because I watched some of uh, the first movie, the first feature, Walking mm-hmm. and Talking, yeah. recently. I mean, when you were doing a short, you know, what was it you were trying to do, and who were you know who was your influences? Huh. I don't know. You the, don't know. I can't answer any of that. Well, you know, any of it, even what you what the story was just. You just picked a story. I and picked you, this really personal story about yeah. my sister and I visiting my father. Yeah. And the horrible routine. Oh, and I had a stepmother um, who disliked my sister and myself dearly. And so it was about her kind of making our visit to my dad really crummy. So so in some ways, you know, it was sort of a template for... Totally. <laughs> for, the, for everything you've done. Everything I've done. And in fact, the, my stepmother had um, started to talk about her sex life and how with my father and it was very disappointing Uh you know and i was like nine yeah so it was traumatic and um that's what the movie really happened yeah yeah isn't it weird that there's no like my father before he got the the brain problem whatever the hell's happening uh there's just no there there there's no statute uh, the statute of limitations runs out at some point when people get a certain age as to what they can and can't tell their kids yes and it's a very it's a very jarring thing because they don't realize it and that's sort of where that joke that I've been working on about you know gaslighting and parenting come mm-hmm. from is that like when they divulge this stuff you're like well, if I had known that right i could have made entirely different decisions for myself like what well i mean look well, it, I, it's not about decisions but like i knew on some level i think you know after a certain point that my dad was a philandering you know mm-hmm. 
guy. Mm. Uh, you know, and I've had my own issues with that. But like, you know, stuff that he has told me, I'm like, holy shit. I mean, you know, this has been going on for that long. And all that stuff, you know, all the stuff that they hid from you is is implanted in you. The behavior. Right, right. Like they can't, you can't, they can't hide, you know. You're, well, I don't have to know about their sex life for it to for not for, impact me right. and my sex life. No, you don't have to know, but like it does, like what that did was shine some light on my father's character. Right. 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 So, you know, I knew he was, you know, bipolar. I knew he was selfish. But, you know, some of the stuff he told me, I'm like, oh, you're a fucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I felt bad all the time. Right. Yeah. Could give a shit. Yeah. I mean, I have kids, and, and sometimes they'll ask me a question, and without thinking, I'll just answer it, and then the look on their face. How old are they? Like, they're 24. Okay. Um, so slowly, you know, they're asking me things about mm, private when, things. And, when they were kids? Like, um, they like, started when, I don't know, one no, is, about, about when they were kids? Oh, like, yeah. Like stuff like, when yes. we were, yeah. Yeah, or before. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm divorced, so they're finding things out about... Uh, our marriage that uh-huh. you know that never occurred to them to ask and sometimes i just blurt out an answer and i see their face and it was like they were not ready to hear that answer right what was i thinking right um yeah well they're adults they are and they're different from one another like one asks more questions than the other huh. often so they're different people yeah. so like i like all right so when did you start when did you overcome whatever yeah. Like, what's interesting to me in terms of looking at you know, the stuff you've done is like, I think the last time I talked to you, you were going or just back from writing with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Were you mm-hmm. just going to Ireland? I don't remember when I sent you that script. Were you back? Because it was middle of COVID, but it was... Huh? I have no idea. Okay. But like, you know, you did that thing. And I love yeah. that movie. You did? I did. Good. And I don't think they could have made it without you. Right. In terms of your well, point of view. Well, politically, they also couldn't have made it. Well, I get me. that. But yeah. still, like, you know, I, I don't know that you could trust those two guys to con- you know conceive of a woman's point of view or Ridley. Right. You know, <laughs> you, you know, so like any of that, I have to assume was your input. Yes, it was. So then when I look at that, which it should have been a big movie, but I think I don't know what the fuck happened. It just tanked. I know. But I talked to Ridley about it and he just I think they didn't know how to sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know he was like uh, I, I don't remember what he said, but he yeah. didn't think that was it. But because it's a nice grown-up movie, yeah, that kind of retrofits some you know real issues that are relevant now, yeah, into a uh, into an amazingly you know timeless story. I uh, couldn't imagine it would be anything but a success, really, and it got good reviews. Yeah, it, I just really think people didn't know what to do with it. They they saw a coming attraction, and they were like, maybe I'm I'm done with the Game of Thrones business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know what they. Yeah. 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 But it's a very sophisticated movie. Yeah. So when I saw that and then kind of looking back through, you know, how you've handled your career in terms of, you know, doing your own movies, but writing and directing on other people's stuff and directing, obviously, you've it's a job you do sometimes. Yes. For TV. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the way you got to be. Yeah. In order to keep you know doing what you want to do. Practicing and making money. I mean, it's a, those are good things to, to direct. Sure. How did you overcome the fear? At first? Um, well, I graduated and I thought, okay, I'm just going to be a writer. I'm going to try to be a writer. So I was writing a bunch of scripts and then I met these people uh, who had gone to Columbia Film School through some friends and they said what a great school it was and they were working writers and they suggested I go there. Yeah. And so I did. And as soon as I got there, it was the right place and, 
You have to direct videos of your work and other people's work. It's part of the screenwriting program, okay. too. And I found myself to be uh, good at it and confident. It was smaller and more videos manageable. Videos as a, as a way to yeah, learn? Yeah, short films. Yeah, like in, scenes. Instead of like doing 16 millimeter and processing. A $20,000 16 millimeter student film that sucked. I mean, right. what a waste right. of right. everything. Right, right, um, So videos is almost... Oh, no, that wasn't that one. Uh-huh. That much money. But, yeah. Um, so, practice. Yeah, so, like, exactly. I just needed a lot of practice, yeah. and, I, and I found that I was good and that I loved doing it, and I had some great teachers, and so uh, I made a short film coming out of there. And which, you liked that one? Yeah. That one was called It's Richard I Love. And What was that about? It was about Cynthia Nixon, starred in it. Yeah. Um, a girl who loves this guy who just didn't give a shit about her. Hmm. Not that, you know, that's ever happened to me or anything. <laughs> um, and Keith Gordon played the guy. And it was in New York. And it was really fun. Really fun. And it turned out pretty well. Um, and it, you know, it got me, I think, got me an agent. Yeah. And I, so I just, then I wrote a few scripts that got nowhere. For other nowhere, things? Or for, for myself. Uh-huh. And then movies, whole movies. Yeah, but they didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And then I wrote Walking and Talking, and I met Ted Hope, who was starting Good Machine in New York, which was you know the place to be if you want to make an independent film. Was this the beginning of independent films, kind of? A little, or well, in was that this during era, the boom. Yeah, it was like they'd just done. Um, Ed Burns' movie and Hal Hartley's movies. And oh, yeah. It was like Living in Oblivion. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It was, Tom DiCillo. Right. Movies. And Hal Hartley was the, what was his first movie? Trust and right. Unbelievable Truth with, yeah. Um, yeah. Adrian Shelley. Adrian Shelley. Who I went to college with briefly. You did? Yeah. She was lovely, huh? I knew her husband. Yeah. And I knew her yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Terrible. Jesus. Terrible story. Unreal. So, yeah. so that was sort of like. The, it's the middle of the wave of independent filmmaking. Kind yeah, of. yeah, I was really in the right place at the right time. It also took me six years to make the movie after really? I'd written it and met with Ted. Yes. For, for Walking and Talking? Yeah. And, well, it seems like that some of that stuff is in there, the unrequited love business and, you know, mm-hmm. understanding relationships. And it seems yeah. like that's, but that, like I said before, it seems to be sort of a through line uh, through all the movies. We, I don't yeah. guess we ever really nail it, do we? Uh, I, I hope so. I hope not because I'd have no material. <laughs> so when you did that, because you definitely, I, I I try to watch what you know choices directors make and how they handle actors. But and it seems like you know the way you write is very it's a naturalistic thing, and it takes a certain type of actor to be able to do it. It's not the difference between. It's really kind of amazing the difference between a, a, a standard mainstream movie and a movie that someone has a little more freedom to do. Mm-hmm. And that, like, there's scenes in that one and in Walking and Talking that are very, they're they're very naturalistic. And I imagine, were they improv any of them? Uh, probably not. Yeah. I mean, well, I wouldn't say a whole scene, but a line here or two. Sure. 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 I mean, Liev was great at it, and. Um, yeah, Keener was. Everybody was. Yeah. So if some actor says a terrific line while we're shooting, I keep it. That's great. I yeah. mean, I gave them the freedom to do that, but basically stick to the script. Yeah. 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 Otherwise, it would be chaos. And was that? It, well, no one knew who Keener was, right? Um, she'd been in Johnny Swade and Living in Oblivion. Yeah, but so, they, but Walking Talking, I think, was she kind of broke out of that one, right? That was like a big maybe. I yeah. can't take credit for what about Leah? Had, had he her. been in some? 
He had been in the Day Trippers, Greg Matola's movie. Oh, yeah. I just watched that recently, too. It's good. It is good. Yeah. So I saw him in that. I went to school with Greg. I was friends with Greg. and um, Were at Columbia? Yeah. He was one of them. Yeah. What's he doing now? Didn't he do a big movie recently? Yeah. I think, I don't know. Right now, he's in Portugal posting pictures. I don't know if he's on vacation or not. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's made some great stuff. And Anne H. Super bad. Anne H. Yeah. I I haven't talked to Anne H. No, but I mean, like, she was in that movie. That was kind of early in her trip, too, right? Very. Yeah. She she was kind of more of an unknown. Yeah. 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 And I had to cast people who were kind of up and coming. Yeah. I'd seen uh, Kevin Corrigan in The Slums of Beverly Hills. Oh yeah, he well he's like the New so York good. indie actor guy. Like he's kind yeah. of shows up. He's ever present for about a decade. I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he was in. I put him in. Um, Please give too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's so unique. What happens? So you put this movie together. It takes you six years to make. Yeah. Now, is there any input? Do, do you show it to your stepdad? Do you like? Is there? Yeah. Like, I remember he was very critical because it had a lot of explicit sex in it. More than what ended up in the film. I mean, I rewrote it essentially for six years. So he he didn't like that. He didn't like reading that. Uh-huh. Otherwise, he, you know, when he saw the crappy film I made at NYU, he did say, I think you should think about doing something else, Nick. He did. Uh-huh. And then by the time I made Walking and Talking, he was a full believer. Oh, yeah? Completely... Um, uh, you know um supportive supportive yeah so what so what happens then because i i don't really understand like i know like i kind of know how indie film works but like you've done a lot of them so after walking and talking was there like were there people willing to bank on you barely barely i mean it did well it got great reviews um but uh yeah it was really hard to get financing for my second movie um it didn't take six years and um did you have it written already um lovely and amazing no no No, definitely not i do one script at a time like every four years and that's okay disappoint well no (laughs) (laughs) but i am who i am (laughs) you have some acceptance around that i'm gonna yeah i mean it's not broken yeah i wish that i had made and will make a lot more movies, but I I don't see myself doing that. Wait, well, what? Why? Because I don't have a lot of ideas that I want to see through. Yeah. That I want to live with for three years. What determines that? <laughs> Just a feeling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if I think I have an idea, I'll sort of sort through my notes and write, and then if it's boring or stupid, I give it up. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and I just don't have inspiring ideas very often. Well, I mean, it's, it did walking and talking at least, it, it seems like that got you in the door with t- directing television, right? Walking and talking, yeah, it did everything okay. that I wanted it to do. I got, right after that, my first directing television job was Sex and the City, and only because they saw walking and talking. Okay. I got some residual checks uh, yesterday from Sex and the City. Really? Still, yeah. Are they still like meaty or no? Um, mostly like three hundred, oh, four hundred, sometimes more. That's nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean that's a long time ago. Well, then I imagine that having being able to do that and move kind of uh, you know job to job a bit with TV directing, it takes the pressure off finding that idea to do the next movie. It does, and it gives me practice because I 
direct movies so infrequently. It's like, oh, do I remember how to talk to an actor? And well, is it giving you practice? Is, is that uh, did you have to sort of frame it like that way, way at some point? Did you have to convince yourself that oh. it's giving you practice as opposed to you know standing in the way of you making another movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is good practice for my next film. Yeah. <laughs> whenever that might be. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. But but it never but you always think about making the movie, you know. Yes. You don't think like, oh, I'm just gonna direct television. No, no. But you know, if that ends up happening to me in my old age, I'll take it. But Lovely and Amazing was it was it was worth the wait. It was a bigger movie. Um, actually I got less money. But it got more, didn't it get more attention? Yes, definitely. Definitely got more attention. Um, Right, that was Lionsgate. And it was still only like a million dollars. But I think it's a more mature effort. And like Jake Gyllenhaal was like 12 years old. How old was he? Yeah, he was 20. He was 20. He turned 21 right around the It's crazy how young he looks. Yeah, because he is young. I know. (laughs) They all are. I mean. Keener's in that one too. Yeah, and Emily Mortimer and. Dermot Mulroney. Dermot's in it, and um, yeah, he's he's and kind Clark of Greg, and that guy that I liked, that uh, James LaGrosse guy. Oh yeah, like what happened to that guy? Uh, I, thought I always liked seeing him, like in Drugstore Cowboy. I thought he was amazing. He was, and, he, and then he'd show up here and there. Yeah, and then it just—he's a really good actor. He is, and a really nice guy. Um, I don't know. I, I, who knows? Yeah, it turns out when you ask that about people now, they've done a million things, and you just didn't. You have no idea. Yeah, everyone's doing a million things, or they're just enjoying their lives, and you know, yeah, not necessarily making movies or whatever. I mean, he's how a about, country boy. How about Dorf? Like coming out of nowhere, like you know, Stephen Dorff. I mean, he's not in your movie, oh. but like I just you just reminded me, like he's he's out there. And Malibu he loves his life, mm-hmm. and then he's like right now mm-hmm. after whatever the hell he's been through or, or or whatever wherever his career went, he's doing the best work of his entire life. In what? In that uh, in the True Detective. Oh, I didn't see it. Oh my god, he's fucking amazing. Wow, good. And I, and I That's just great. Fucking amazing. Like I was watching it. And I'm like, who is that? And they're like, it's Dorf. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, I, and I had to interview him. But I just uh-huh. watched uh, Old Old Henry. Did you see Old Henry no. with Tim Blake Nelson? That no. weird little Western? No. Dorf's in that as a heavy, and he's fucking great. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't Good know why I'm getting him. all excited about People should see that Old Henry movie. Okay. I love uh, Tim Blake Nelson. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a classic uh, story. It's a classic Western story uh, based on a classic Western story in a way. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know the twist, it's worth seeing. Okay. I don't know it, so don't You should watch me. it. Do okay. you like Westerns? No. Okay, good. You'll love it then. <laughs> no country for old men. That's my idea of that Western. That was the extent? <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you like? What are the movies that were like, oh my God. Slasher films. Come on. Um. Oh, oh my God. I mean, so many movies. I mean, Spike Jonze's movies and Charlie Kaufman's movies. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up loving Woody and Albert Brooks. Albert. And James Brooks and... Um, James Brooks, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Hal Ashby is one of my favorites. Yeah. I met him once. I made yeah. a fool out of myself. What happened? When was this? Oh, I was really young. And I was just... I think I was maybe 18 years old. Mm. And uh, I didn't know what he looked like. And Harold and Maude, of course, was my favorite movie, and I was introduced to him, and he, this is Hal Ashby, and I just lost my shit. You're? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. pounded the table yeah. he was sitting at. Yeah. But he was fine. I've done that. Yeah. yeah Haven't I, we all? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I did it last week with Keith Richards, the second time. Really? The second time I interviewed him. And this was on Zoom, and I was still like, oh, my God. You know, so. How was he with that? It's great. 
he's, he just he, kind of smirked. Well, he's great. You know, yeah. he's like, you know, a lot of these guys who are such, uh, you know, kind of menacing presences are just like, you know, turning into sweet old men. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. It's like, yeah. It's the best thing that can happen. I don't happen. know how you can interview all the people you do and keep your wits about you. What do you mean? Well, not that you're not. You mean a, not lose my shit? Yeah, like that. I mean, well, I mean, if you listen to the first interview, I, I kind of lost my shit, but okay. I, I was still, you know, engaging. You could speak. I, you know, yeah, and I was in this one too. I was I'm very obsessed with this hat, which to the point, you know, his people got mad at me. Like, about, stop talking about the hat. Yes, and I was like, I tell him, I was like, Keith, where do you get these beanies? Because he's like, he looks great right now, and I, I don't know why I think that I. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to have Keith Richards' guitar, but at this point, he's like, what, is he 80? And he's wearing a beanie, and I'm like, I got to get a Keith beanie. <laughs> he got him at Urban Outfitters like everybody else. No, he, it turns out he didn't. He turns oh. out, he, of course, he got him at a place that sells $400 cashmere beanies. And they sent him a case. I don't know how it worked for him, but right. I had to pay for two. <laughs> you paid $800 <laughs> for some Shh. lame beanies? I did. <laughs> I did. And they're not even here yet. I can't even tell you if they're the right ones. I just hope they're the I right they ones. They look good, even if I don't wear them. You know, it, yeah. Well, I had to because I was. I you know, I I shared it with the world. My obsession with the beanie, so I have to follow through yeah. whether I want to or not. Yeah. Even though the world would be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, you, you spent eight hundred dollars. Spoiled yeah. idiot. What? The, yeah. I got no kids. Right. I got no debt. <laughs> Can I buy a beanie? You're you're allowed. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is this is the exciting. On Fridays when I do interviews, we have a little extra texture with the leaf blower. Which is illegal. Is it? Yeah, but we need our leaf blowers. Oh, the gas ones are illegal now? I think they can use electric, can't they? Isn't that the deal? I don't know. Isn't that the shift we're supposed to be making? Out of gas into electric and chargeable? I can't fucking stand it anymore, Nicole. I can't stand it. Which? The leaf blowers. Oh. Because when you live in a neighborhood like this, every fucking day. Yeah. Every day there's one right there. You poor thing. Do you have that where you live? Yeah. But I want my leaves to go away. Otherwise, I'd just be... I want my leaves to go away, but I think they should all be done on the same day. (laughs) Like, there should be two days a week where everyone can do that. Yeah. So at least you have, like, one or two days a week. You can just split. Well, just be quiet. Just have a quiet morning. Is that so That's what happens when you live in a nice, leafy neighborhood. Okay, fine. You're saying I have luxury problems, I should shut the fuck up? Yeah. So, speaking of luxury problems, mm-hmm. like Friends with Money, I do remember that movie very well. Oh, good. And uh, it was one of those yeah. movies where it's like, you know, some people are really going to be bothered by this movie because of the way these people live, which is like sure. we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And what were you, when, when you made that movie with those women? Was I thinking? Well, no, but I mean, were you like, these are my friends, I'm going to be honest? Oh, this wait, is what do you world, mean? Well, this is the world I live in? Oh, yeah, because I also am, I feel, are, I am representing their, um, their faults yeah, and their limitations. Sure. Yeah. And, um, they, you know, that's what it's about. Um, so it was also, you know, not at a time where I think we have to be much, much more conscious about the movies we make right now and the audience for them. I don't think I could make that movie now. Why? A bunch of white people in a oh. white people problem movie and yeah. I mean I'm, I'm about to make another one um, and I think you know that's not been easy because of that huh. because of the climate right now Scott Kahn was good wasn't he yeah he's funny he is funny yeah I liked working with him a lot he was very game yeah mm-hmm yeah. I mean everyone I had a really great experience on that well, movie it was a great cast it was uh, Aniston yeah. and 
Oh, yeah. Joan Cusack. Yeah. Francis. I got to work with my idols, so I was just pinching myself. I mean, I'd been chasing Joan Cusack since Working Girl. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't get the agent to even, you know. Yeah. How does that work? Like when you want somebody, how does it? Like, what do you? What kind of? How often do you get them? I mean, obviously, Keener, you've been working with forever. Mm-hmm. But Francis McDormand. I just, um, I guess that script. Uh-huh. I mean, or they liked. I mean, the movie I made before it was lovely and amazing. So I guess if they saw that. Um, right. And they liked it. And, you know, good female parts don't come around. I think it also like with in that movie and like in the Friends of Money thing, I mean, there must be some element of like purging, you know, or owning the lifestyle that we kind of live. Yeah. Well, I think all my movies have that. Yeah. I think I think, you know, they're so autobiographical um, that I'm willing to show my shallow life. Um, and I guess... Is it shallow? Um, so in some in some ways, I mean, it's huh. definitely self-absorbed. Yeah, and that my movies are um, about my own self-absorption and my friends and the world. But I'm curious. I'm curious about so many things in human behavior that I hope. I'm also expressing that, the depth of human behavior in people you might think of as shallow or... Just by getting to the core of of humanness is is really the thing that kind of uh, undermines shallowness. Exactly. That we're all people. I mean, I did make fun of that in Friends with Money with Joan Cusack and Greg Gurman, who are the rich couple. Right. right. And they have great sex and they smell good and they have no problems. and And I let that be. Like maybe that is you know what it's like. <laughs> of course it's not, but it, it was fun. Right? To, no, no, of course not. I have real problems with that. I think like you know when we're, we're all. I, I don't think we're all narcissists, but we're certainly self-centered. And how much of what we think uh, other people are doing or living is something we're just making up all the time. Say that again. I'm sorry. We make up other people's lives. You know, we make assumptions based on nothing. I do it all the fucking time. Yeah. And I guess there's really no way you can know unless you really know those people. Or you you don't know how fragile the dynamic is. Like even in that first movie, Walking, Talking with those two girls, I mean, those two women Mm -hmm. as they become women, you know, and also the way you establish stuff when uh, people are kids, I think is very good. I like that screenplay you wrote for that horror, that horrifying story about the two girls that killed the black baby. Oh, thank you. Holy shit. Yeah. But dealing with like young people and dealing with the, the impact of those moments is kind of crazy. But mm-hmm. my point is, uh, you know, you, you don't even know your best friends, really. Sure you do. You know what they do and you, you know how they react to you, but there's always room for surprise. Always, absolutely. And yeah. they're never exactly what you want them to be at all times. Do you have best friends? Yeah, I do. For a long time? Yes. Yeah. Very, very lucky. Um, yeah, since um, high school and college, we're still very close. Really? And some more college. And I've made some new friends, which is amazing Recently? to me, too. Yeah, kind of. Huh. Isn't that weird? A little bit. Um, and it's really nice. It, it always seems to take a little more effort than I've, than I'm, uh, like it you. It does. And I always get very disappointed when sometimes where you know, like, okay, we're gonna try to be friends, and you have that one friend date, and then it's just sort of like, ah, I guess it didn't work out. 
Guess you didn't like me that much. Something. Well, there's a kid that I do comedy with who went on a hike with me once, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we work together at the comedy store all the time. And I sometimes I bring him up and I say, oh, "This guy, we you know we tried to be friends, but uh, didn't happen." We went on. A- <laughs> what does he say? Well, he's got a good sense of humor. Yeah, he's kind of an asshole, but a funny asshole. That's funny. Yeah, the yeah, it's harder to make friends when you're older, but they actually do what I do. Yeah, and that. Uh, is really nice. I, I didn't always have so many friends in the movie business, but it's really nice to have people to complain to on the same level in this and world that we live out. in. Yeah, and learn from, and yeah. So how so? How do you make friends? You know, later in life, just change your expectations. <laughs> lower the bar? Yeah, not um, lower the bar, but no. like it seems like the ones that are older and been through everything for them with you, you know, yeah. are, are like. They know you when you're like, I need to, if we got to, you know, and yeah. it, that tends to go away, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> no, actually, not really. <laughs> I Where, how come that. you didn't? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, the new friends, I don't know, they kind of materialized naturally, uh, met them, you know, on with mutual friends. And yeah. then it's like, hey, should we get together? Which is a little scary. And you get together and yeah. actually it was kind of nice. And then. Uh, when do we stop talking about work? When do we start talking about personal things? And then we do, and yeah. then you realize you're friends. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I, my boundaries don't enable me to, like lately, I just, like uh, certain people have just, I get exhausted and I don't want to fucking. I know. I mean, I'd be your friend, but you live too far away. Yeah. I don't, like, I. Don't want to be my friend. I no, I do want to be your friends, but like, but. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm clear as to, you know, like I have like one or two people where I'm like, like can see me mm-hmm. properly mm-hmm. and uh, it's a relief, mm-hmm. but I can't break any new people in. I understand breaking new people. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, I used to do a bit about that, about how like, you know, <laughs> who are these people with, with, with many friends? All you need are two. You need the main guy yeah. and the guy you go to when you drain the main guy. <laughs> That's pretty true. I'm terrified that, you know, they're they're going to die before me and I don't know what I'm going to do. But we don't have to go there. What a what a ridiculous fucking life. All right, so what's it when how when you decide to write a movie mm-hmm. or direct, I don't know. Have you directed like whole movies that weren't yours? No. I almost Never. did. What, I almost did happened? a couple of times. Um well, well, I was going to direct um, several movies. Uh, the uh, Every Secret Thing, that one about the dead baby, I was going to direct. It but... felt like you should have directed it. <laughs> well, thanks. But I wrote the script intending to direct it, and I couldn't nail the script. I couldn't nail it. What do you mean? There was just a character in it that I couldn't solve. Which one? Um, the, the detective, um, the main uh-huh. person who... Um... Not Elizabeth Banks? Yeah. Okay. And I also, um, that was the main reason, but I I think I was also um, a little afraid to deal with the dead baby and the screaming baby. My kids were younger in the editing room, like living with that. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was an obstacle, but what do you mean you couldn't nail the character? You you were afraid you couldn't direct it because you didn't quite understand it yet? Yeah. You were able to write it? No, I couldn't write her well. Well, then who wrote it? Well, I guess Amy Berg took over, and but did she change the script? Probably some, oh. yeah. And you know, I was going to direct um, what became Fifty Fifty. Yeah. 
and I was going to direct it, and I worked with the writer, and it was really fun. All these guys, they were great, and um, I thought it was going to be shot in L.A., and they decided to shoot it in Vancouver, and part of the reason why I could do it was because it was in L.A. At the time, one of my sons was in a new school and was getting bullied, Oh, and I couldn't leave him. I just couldn't leave him. Really? Yeah. How old was that kid? Mm, it was like the beginning of middle school, 12 or something. Well, that's good that you prioritized your family over yeah. the career. <laughs> I know, a fool, but I would do it again. And, well, you know, they weren't happy, but well, it turned out really well. Well, let me ask you, because, you know, I know that Lynn, you know, it being my point of reference with, you know, people who are directing movies and independent directors, like... Mm-hmm. There, there is a point where, like, she was, she really needed to do it her way. Yeah, yeah. And you know, to the point where the one experience I think she had when she was given a bigger movie was not great. Mm-hmm. What was that? Laggies. Oh. And I, I think it was, it was a little difficult with all the the people who who had power. Right. You know, even in directing some television, I think it was it was similar. Yeah, so yeah. to the point where like I really wonder like because uh, clearly when she died you know things were turning and it was going to be a bigger career mm-hmm. but I really wonder how it would have panned out if someone said will you direct this Marvel movie yeah what would you do I wouldn't do it mm. I'd be you know crazy but I wouldn't do it I don't what, think well because I don't know life's too short yeah, and, and when you direct a movie, it's a couple of years at it's least. It's a lot. Yeah. And to direct a Marvel movie would, I imagine, be a lot of ulcers, a uh-huh. lot of stomach and knots. Um, and, and also, how do you represent your point of view? I mean, that's what you're used to, making movies. Yeah, yeah. No, it would be um, some people, I guess, feel excited by that challenge. I wouldn't feel excited by that particular challenge. Well, what about any big movie? Well, yeah, if I think it's great, sure. Um, And if I could make a lot of money one day, that would be really nice. But um, that's uh, it hasn't happened. Um, Yeah, it hasn't happened. Well, I like to like I like to please give. I don't remember if I enough said if I saw it. Sorry. You should see enough said. um, Julia Louis Dreyfus and James. Oh no, I did see it. I did. It was the last one before he died. Yeah. You know what I remember about that movie mm-hmm. is, you know, that, you know, clearly James was trying to, you know, do something other than Tony Soprano. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying and, and just I remember his performance very specifically and realizing that he was a, a great actor with an amazing range. And it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting mm-hmm. to see how vulnerable he could get. Yeah. Cool. So I remember all that. That's a good takeaway. did that. I did. But he, he was ready. He was there. I didn't have to do much. Yeah. No. How, it, it seemed like he died before it came out, didn't it? Yes, he did. He died right after he did some ADR, and that was the only time he saw scenes from the movie, and he was really hard on himself and didn't want to see any cuts. And when he did see some pieces in ADR, yeah. I don't know, he hung his head. He was like, oh, God, I would look like such a pussy. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was so afraid I was going to make him. And I was like, yeah, your character's a pussy. Yeah. And we all love him and get over it. Um, yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, he died like a couple of weeks after that. Fucking brutal, man. Yeah. Really sad. Really, really sad. And uh, Julia is like fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. She's going to be in my next movie. What's it about? Um, you don't have to tell if it's going to ruin it for you. 
ruin it for me. Well, I mean, like, well, it's a know. lot of family dynamics. Mm. It's, it's comedy drama, and it's a lot about um, how to support those you love without having to lie to them. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, is that possible? No. And if you over spoiler alert, and if you over support your kid, yeah. your kid wants to prove you wrong. It, it just stuff like that. So Families this is where, and relationships. And, but this yeah. is where all these things live with with your characters in movies that yeah. you know, that there's this you know, fundamental unsolvable tension to relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't there always? I, yeah, but like, but and I guess that, that even though you know that, I'm saying you as people. You still try to control or, or, you know, have a handle on it. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to let go. I mean, I don't solve anything. Mm-hmm. It's really just exploring how and why and can we. And because I, I don't have any answers. And, you know, people will say, oh, now that you wrote about that, are you over it? And it's like, not at all. Not in the least. Yeah, because you have to deal with it every day on some level if there's yeah. other people involved in your life. Yeah. But the land of steady habits, that was like, you know, that was like the outer edges of <laughs> of what people can go through and handle. Pretty bad. <laughs> really sad. <laughs> you didn't like it? I loved it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. That guy, I, it's Mendelssohn, right? Yeah. He's like something else, that guy. He's genius. I just How's he doing? Love him. Uh, oh, God. You got to call him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I sent him a text. Yeah. And he sent me a text right back. Yeah. And I was so happy to get it. Yeah. And then it promptly went out of my head. You forgot. And now it's just hanging yeah. there. Yeah. How long has it been? A couple of weeks. Oh. A week. Yeah. I do that all the time. I love him. You yeah. do? I do too. I'm like so happy that. to hear from them. And then. That. Well, some part of your brain registers it and it closes the, sh- it closes the file. Right. You're like, Maybe, oh. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, I did that. And then you realize like, <laughs> oh, I probably could have said something more. <laughs> could have responded exactly and it has nothing to do with how important that person is to me that's what's scary because i adore him every few days maybe once a week you got to scroll through your text and answer and not remember when you're on air exactly well it's nice it was a real moment (laughs) it was yeah it was a good it was a good moment yeah off script off you know otherwise this is all scripted yeah yeah personal script yeah yeah i thought that movie was great i I liked it thank you because it just kept getting worse and worse It did. Yeah. It did. I really loved the book. And people were like, why do you want to make this movie? And it's just, I don't know. It was a good book. It was a good story. You like adapting books? I, I liked adapting that one. Yeah. Um, and I liked adapting Can You Ever Forgive Me? Did you want to um, direct that? Um, I was going to direct that. What happened with that one? What, what family trauma? You don't, you don't know? You didn't look it up? No, no. I'm not, I'm not great at research. Sorry. <laughs> Um, when you interviewed Obama, I bet you did some research. Yeah, but I hate doing that. That oh. made it a very sort of like regimented interview. Right. Like I, I'd rather miss things mm-hmm. uh, and have a real conversation than you know know I've, too much going in. I've heard you say that that I didn't want to read your book before. I yeah, I mean, so yeah. If I, the only time I'll read books is if I don't know about the person or I'm not sure they can talk. And the problem with reading people's books is you'll lead them, and you already mm-hmm. know all the answers. Right. Right. So, but right. like, it's not books with you, but I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. was there uh, some sort of uh, controversy? It was horrible. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, I, um, I uh, adapted it to direct and 
uh, cast it. Uh, Julianne Moore, yeah, uh, was going to be in it. Yeah, I love her. And um, we started working on the character, and we got it. We didn't see eye to eye. You and Julianne Moore. Yeah, she wanted um, very much to do it her way. Yeah, and to sort of keep me out of it, mm. which I was unaccustomed to. Right. And I, you know, I don't know if she works that way always, but that right. was my experience. And um, so, literally five days before shoot, uh-huh. I mean, everything was done. Yeah. Um, I, I let her go. Yeah. Yeah. You fired Julianne Moore. Because yeah. you knew it wouldn't work yeah. with what you had pictured it to be. Correct. And I didn't think it was going to be any fun. Mm. Like, I had a knot in my stomach. Um, and you wanted to tell a story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And socially, I adored her. Yeah. I, I, I did. But yeah. I felt like this is going to be a um, battle. And I think she felt it, too, but was willing to go ahead. And well, I out of know. curiosity, that, you know, that now that we all know how McCarthy did it. Yeah. What was it about? Again, the thing that I don't know. So different. Yeah. Well, McCarthy's got this built-in, you know, comedy engine Mm -hmm. that that makes even her most you know pathetic and uh, craven Mm -hmm. uh, emotional impulses, you know, not so menacing. Right. Right. Yeah. More lovable. I think that with Julie, she would have been closer to Lee Israel in terms of that. Uh huh. Um. But, you know, she's an incredibly talented yeah. actor. Um, I, I don't change my mind about that. It uh-huh. just was not a good fit. And then what happened? And then um, and then uh, Searchlight, who made the movie, said, do you want to push it for two weeks and see if you can recast it? Yeah. And I tried. Yeah. And n- no one was available that I wanted. And they mm. said, do you want to come back in a year and try over? try it over? And I felt like I'd made the movie. I mean, when you're five days away from shooting, you every, ate it all out. Every yeah. every silverware, the kind of clothes, the shoes, yeah. the locations, everything has been chosen. Right. And I was exhausted and burnt, and I said no. Hmm. So, of course, when Marielle Heller made such a great movie and incredibly successful, what was I thinking? Um, but you know, she did a great job, and I got a lot of attention and academy award nomination for it and um you know sadly it's kind of the movie people will say to me that they love the most of my films right but i didn't direct it but you said so but it's you kind can, of a mix can you, t- you can take half ownership exactly it's a little bittersweet right um but do you do you, you regret it um I mean, yeah you, i don't know it would have been a different film so who were you thinking oh no, I don't want to. <laughs> Lots of people who were about to go on vacation or, mm. you know, couldn't do it. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, but you are you happy with the, the way it... Yeah, very much. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things I would have done differently, but I think it was really good. Obviously, people love that movie. Now, when you, like, what do you think is your, your strong suit as a director? Because I... I like what do you do do you you work pretty close with actors i mean yeah i don't do a ton of rehearsal no yeah Uh uh-uh i i like it fresh and i give them freedom to tell me what they think stinks yeah and to say something better if they want to or um i'm very i think i'm a pretty disarming person yeah and i think that 
it helps them to feel safe yeah to try things and be stupid and um i respect them so much for that yeah um but you know i think it starts with the writing i think that i don't ask actors generally to behave in a way that isn't natural or human right um and when you know, like, I guess the, the trick to directing is when you do a take, it, it, it's just somehow in your gut, you know, when it's the right one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to be the whole thing. Cause I, I yeah. it, and it's a unique, and especially when you do movies like you do, where it's all sort of about the uh, uh, emotional honesty of any given scene. Right. It's, it's not about whether, you know, the pyrotechnics worked or the car blew up at the right time. No, that would be so boring. <laughs> It's like did easier their chin to, quiver. To read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Did their did chin their quiver. Chin... Did their eyes tear up? Yeah, or did yeah. they surprise me in some fantastic way? I mean, if you cast really good actors yeah. and the script is pretty good, yeah. I, I feel like my job is pretty much done. And you can just feel it set. Like if you, yeah. you see a take, you're like, oh, yeah. 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 It's thrilling too because I bet. You know, having James Gandolfini and Julia in my living room reading my scenes, I, I'm kind of looking over my shoulder, like, yeah. who's the director here? It's interesting, too, because with those two people in particular, that they were kind of like, you know, anytime Julia has to tone it down, it's like, it, that's the job, you know, for her. Because, mm-hmm. like, see, she's so natural, like, mm-hmm. naturally, comedically genius, mm-hmm. right? So anytime she has to almost become more real... Mm-hmm. You know, that is, you know, that's right. where you really see, like, what's, you know, how, what's going on in there, right. right? So it's a real performance. And then with him having to, like, not... Want to kill someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not be... Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. She... But Julia is a pretty serious person. You I have talked to her. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. But, but like, there's no one more naturally com- comedically yeah. gifted than that person. Yeah. And having her on the set just cracking me up and cracking everybody up. I just I can't even understand it. Yeah. Her and like in like Farrell, Will Farrell. It's like mm-hmm. they can turn it on and you're like, what is what is that? And they can turn it off totally. Yeah. 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 Turn it off. Like be a regular yeah. human being. And in that's how I when I met with Julia to do that, you know, we had lunch and at first I was like, but she's Elaine, she's Elaine. She you know, how can I get past that? And it took about ten seconds. We were talking about our kids yeah. and um, is what she doing in this next one? Is she going to be hilarious? Is she going to be slapsticky? Uh, slapsticky? <laughs> no, I don't think there is slapstick in this one. But uh, plenty of room for her to be a fool. Plenty, um, in a good way. Oh, good. Yeah, vulnerable, insecure. Oh, good. Uh, you know, uh, kind of a mess. Now, can we just talk about the last duel though for a sure. minute or two? Because yeah. I really love the movie, and I think people should see the movie. Good. I think people should too. I wish they. Would I think it's on a Something. streaming service? How how do you get that call from those guys? Yeah, to to be like you know, hey, we need a lady. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your lady. Can you write girl stuff? Um, uh, I knew Ben a bit, and um, so I got this email from him, which yeah. I did occasionally, but it, it was an email that just. You know, made my head spin off. I couldn't believe I was, do you want to write something with, right. with me and Matt? And um, I don't know if they said what it was at the time, but I, I of course, I said yes. And then I, they said what it was, and I went and met with them and then said, I don't know how to do this. Really? What do I know? I don't know how to speak like this. Huh. Um, and they said, neither do we. Wow. And they showed me their work, and it was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Whatever they're doing, I can do that. And it became 
not easy, but I got used to speaking like that and learning how to. So, but what, 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 but was the job primarily her story from yeah. her point of view? Yeah, they wrote the first two, mm. so I started writing scenes for her. Uh-huh. I'd send them the scenes. Some things would make that change in their. It would make their scenes change with, and eventually, it became a collaboration of all of us. Uh-huh. I mean, I didn't really touch the battle scenes. But the marriage scenes in all three parts, you know, we all had a part in them. But right. I wrote, you know, a lot of um, Marguerite's story and or all of it, and they gave me notes that were really helpful. Whose idea were the shoes? Then how the shoes came off, or whether she took them off or they fell off, wasn't that Ridley? The... That wasn't in the script. That was a pretty. That was good. Pretty good. Yeah, he's he's kind of good. He is. Yeah, and and he he believes that. <laughs> No kidding. No kidding. I think he wanted to kill me while I was on the set. You did? Why? A little bit. Well, because, you know, I've never been a writer on the set of someone else directing. Uh-huh. It's not like he's not a brilliant director. Yeah, yeah, But, you yeah, know, yeah. sometimes you see a scene differently. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I had to learn how to shut up and, you know, be the invisible writer. Uh-huh. Um, which was fine. It was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, like, again, I think people should see it, and I thought it was, and, and so working with them, were you were in Ireland? Were you there with them? Yeah, well, we worked on the script here, and then went to France, uh, shooting in these castles, and it was just an amazing experience I would never have, and then COVID hit, and we all went home, Yeah. and then picked it back up in Ireland, which was supposed to be the way, that way. Yeah. And I came for some of it. You like Ireland? Yeah, it was great, beautiful. Right? This Dalky town and very sweet and nice. I think I was the only Jew in the yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, um, I, I, I always yeah. want, because I always think about, like, it's my fantasy to live in Ireland. And mm-hmm. then I wonder, like, am I, how do they feel about Jews? But I think the mayor they don't of know Ireland. Anything. Mayor of Ireland is Jewish? Mayor of Dublin is Jewish, really? isn't he? Or he was? Or is wow. there, am I wrong? I, I, I have no I know, idea. I think he's either gay or Jewish, maybe both. <laughs> I, I remember uh, being in a taxi cab and I was trying to understand the troubles. You know, like, can yeah. you explain the Catholics and the Protestants to me? And oh, you got to like, watch Belfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, um, and then he wanted me to explain Jewish people. And, oh. And, are all he thought all Jewish people were kosher and all Jewish people sure. wore the hats. Oh, really? And, yeah, really naive, huh. lovely man, but uh-huh. like it was another world. Yeah, yeah. So don't move there. Maybe not. <laughs> Unless there's a Jewish quarter. There, I, yeah, I think there there was. I think there's a couple there. Well, it was good talking to you. You too. Do you feel good about it? I do. Okay, good. And I breathed. You did. I didn't hear you gasping. There we go. I didn't sense any panic. No. And I think we covered a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And it's a good time to end. My throat hurts. Okay. Thank you so much, Mark. Nice to talk to you. You too. Nicole Hall Center, working on a movie with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and not me. So, and go watch your other movies. They're quite great. No music today. I have no harmonica. I do not want to play air trumpet. Boomer lives. Monkey, La Fonda, cat angels are definitely everywhere. And all kinds of spirits, man. All kinds of spirits. <laughs>